0: Board Member um this is uh, sorry, Board Member Sneros. Would yeah, you would you mind <laughs> <laughs> leading us a pledge of allegiance, please?
1: I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
0: Thank you. Um, STAFF MEMBER DONG, DO WE HAVE ANY AGENDA CHANGES?
2: Um, NO, WE DON'T HAVE okay. ANY AGENDA CHANGES.
0: THANK YOU. NOW LET'S MOVE ON TO PUBLIC COMMENTS. Um, ANYONE MAY oh, SPEAK? PRESIDENT RUIZ, SORRY.
3: Yes. Um, WE NEED TO DO ROLL CALL.
0: OH, I'M SORRY. I FORGOT THAT. AND sorry. I CAN TAKE THE ROLL. OK, ROLL CALL, PLEASE. Sure.
3: PRESIDENT RUIZ?
0: HERE.
3: VICE PRESIDENT HONG? HERE. BOARD MEMBER ARIZA?
0: HERE.
3: BOARD MEMBER CISNEROS? HERE. CURTIS? Here. And we have excused absences from uh, board members Teague and Sahaba, and we have a quorum.
0: Thank you. Um, There are no agenda changes, and do we have any public comments regarding matters not on the agenda? Any speaker?
2: I do not see anybody raising their hand. Thank
0: you. Um, Now that's a move on to consent calendar, item number 4A, draft meeting minutes. Do we have comments or motions?
4: I move that the minutes be approved.
0: Thank you for the motion. Do we have a second? I second. All in favor? Aye. 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 The motion passes. Now that's to move on to um, item number five regular agenda items. Here before us, item number five eight is the objective design review standards study session. This was um, this agenda was requested by the planning board, and um, the st- staff have prepared a presentation and also would like to go over some of the recommendations that the staff has been working with uh, HAB and other community members. Unless, if other board members have other. Um, ideas of how they would like to proceed with this design review. I would like to just open it for staff to lead this discussion if you are amicable to that. Sounds good? Okay, with that said, staff member Ty, please.
3: Great, thank you, President uh, Ruiz and members of the planning board. Um, As President Ruiz had mentioned, this is an item that is requested by the planning board that staff bring the objective standards back to you for review. Um, These objective standards were adopted um, in 2020 and then also revised in 2021, Um, and we've had experience uh, reviewing three development projects under them. Um, I'd like to introduce uh, Henry Dong and David Sablon who's prepared a presentation for you. Uh, Last Thursday, uh, staff also at the Historical Advisory Board meeting uh, reviewed the objective standards and um, gotten some comments. Um, Otherwise, as stated in the staff report, we would like to walk the board through a short list of items that um, staff is proposing that we make revisions to and would like your input. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to uh, David and Henry. I also want to introduce Heather Coleman, who's in the audience here, who's our consultant um, helping us with these objective design standards over the last couple of years.
5: Thank you, Alan. Thank you, members of the board. Uh, My name is David Sablon uh, with the planning department. Um, And so, yeah, as uh, Alan said, uh, we're here to have a study session on the objective design review standards. Um, Just kind of quick refresher. The city first uh, adopted our uh, objective design standards for multifamily and uh, mixed use buildings in February of uh, 2020 and uh, revised them in February of 2021 um, and then adopted uh, objective design review standards for one and two family uh, projects uh, December of 2021. Um, so when uh, creating these uh, these objective design review standards. What we did was we started with our existing design review manuals. We have a guide to residential design, citywide design review manual, and the Webster Street design manual and ranch house guidelines. And what we did uh, is look at the uh, existing objective standards that uh, exist in these uh, in these uh, design guidelines and kind of started from there. And so a lot of the standards are are from these uh, documents. Um, while working on uh, creating these standards, uh, we we tried to strike a balance uh, with with all the different stakeholders. Um, you know, this, this was coming this uh, requirement is coming from the state, mo- and it's mostly for streamlining and uh, uh, specificity and, and flexibility within with the um, uh, for, for the projects. So, uh, with that, we'll kind of move into some of the uh, staff recommended refinements, um, and so uh, Henry will kind of go over some of these next slides.
2: Thank you, David. Um, So, this first item here is um, for ground floor um, uh, features, and uh, standard 2B. Excuse
0: me. um, Henry, I'm not sure if
3: your mic is on, or you might have to speak directly into it. Hello? Can you hear me? There we go, yes. Okay.
2: so standard two B um, calls to avoid blank walls by incorporating one of several features, including windows, doors, artwork, or trellis trellises with uh, landscaping features to them. Um, one of the issues that we found with this standard is that um, affordable housing developers and other developers um, take issue to the trellis with landscaping because it's actually something that's difficult to maintain. Um, sometimes the the um, vegetation dies and then you end up getting um, an image of like what's shown here where um, the trellis is not working out well. So we're wondering if this is something that we should keep as an option or should we look into additional options um, if this is not working out for developers. Um, The next uh, item here we have is um, building orientation and entries. Um, this image here uh, represents another issue that came up. Um, the standards do allow for um, exterior entrances to upper floor units, as well as uh, exterior breezeways that are not on the street facing elevation. But the question we have is, what about the stairs that access these, um, these exterior um, entrances? Um, and sometimes we find um, developments that have stairways that are sandwiched between the building. Um, And the standards require that we um, include a door if it's on the street facing elevation. Um, But we wanted to confirm that with you guys, if that's something that we should still require or would we be open to um, some of these different types of um, exterior stairs that go up up to the upper level. Um, This site plan, uh, it comes from the north housing uh, project, Block A. Um, the issue that arise here was that the uh, senior housing building, which is on the south of the site, um, the housing authority wanted to make the primary entrance to this building on the parking lot entry. A uh, reason being for that is that um, the the clientele, the senior clientele, usually access the building from the parking lot. They get dropped off, and it's 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 also a safer way for them to um, to. Uh, I guess get dropped off to the building Um, what they did try to do was um, meet the principle of the um, standard by providing direct pathway to um, the street to the um, to the west uh, right up to the main entrance Um, but it didn't quite meet the standard, so we required them to actually put a uh, another entrance on the southern um, uh, eastern corner of the site um, and that they they were able to do that, but it did cause issues for like uh, monitoring because um, they have senior clients they that they uh, were concerned with um, leave the facility and so they they might have to um, end up locking that door or monitoring it um, so I guess the question to you guys to the board is um, whether we should allow alternatives for some of these more sensitive um, type uses, that, such as like senior housing, um, or if there's alternatives that we could look at possibly having a prominent entrance to the site, like, uh, like a landscaping entrance or something um, to, to meet the standard.
5: Um, So the next uh, topic would be the equivalent façade treatment. This is actually an elevation of a project uh, that came before the planning board last year. Uh, And so what the standard states is that buildings should carry the same theme on all street-facing elevations as well as the first 10 feet of non-street-facing elevations closest to the street. Uh, For the purpose of the standard, a theme includes primary, non-accent materials and colors. And so what the, the issue is here is this, meets the standard um, it carries over the materials and uh, the uh, uh, colors from the the street facing elevations uh, however it's still uh, it, it was actually called out uh, by the planning board as 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 an, as an issue of, um, since the uh, you know the, the, the design from the front and uh, didn't carry around and so staff uh, recommends that we should look at expanding um, what theme is what the definition of a theme is and um, to include other elements than just uh, materials and colors. Um, the next issue would be equipment screening. Uh, uh, ground floor equipment shall be screened with landscaping or screening materials. Uh, the problem is that new developments will be built with electric equipment such as electric heat pump, an electric heat pump uh, as shown in the bottom picture, um, which are difficult to fully screen. Additionally, new developments will have electrical vehicle charges as well. Uh, Staff recommends that these types of equipment related to electrification of buildings not be located on street facing um, elevations uh, and not require uh, screening when they are uh, not on street facing elevations. Um, the next issue would be the golden man, uh, golden mean standard for raising a house. Um, the standard is uh, this: is uh, uh, the height of the new first story is no more than 0.6 of the height of the upper story. If ne- if needed, um, if it needs to exceed uh, up to 7.0 or point, yeah, 7.0, um, several mitigating design uh, treatments are offered. And so uh, the the issue with this is uh, based. Uh, based on uh, sea level rise uh, issues it's a- anticipated that uh, with 36 inches of sea level rise areas in the red on the map um, we'll have uh, ground groundwater inundation uh, and so what the city uh, would want to do is, is discourage uh, ex- excavating um, to create the-, the ceiling height needed for the, the lower floors um, which is something not really allowed uh, or which is something that the the golden mean calls for, and so uh, we're kind of looking for direction on on that issue. Um, One of the other issues is that uh, there's a need for more illustrations, and so we kind of want to talk to the board about which specific uh, topics and and issues would be best uh, uh, candidates for uh, uh, illustrations. And then, um, as, as noted, we, we met with the Historical Advisory Board on um, last Thursday, and so I just want to provide some of their comments. Um, and so, uh, on the issue of limitation of blank walls and trellises that, uh, that Henry had talked about, um, the, the HAB uh, recommended supplementing the trellises with ground level planters below each one to kind of supplement the, the vegetation. Um, if the trellis is having troubles uh, throughout the year. Um, In the issue of building orientation and entries, they recommend enclosing the stairways and breezeways on street-facing facades. Uh, For primary building entrances, uh, they recommend exempting for specific housing uh, for specific uh, populations and then require some type of pedestrian-oriented landscaping along a street frontage uh, to kind of act as an entry. they recommend for, for the equivalent facade treatment issue. They recommend equal treatment on all side, four sides and not just uh, carrying a theme on the non-street facing sides. But have, um, they they also uh, for equipment screening waive the the screening requirement for non-street facing elevations and suggest looking at uh, equipment setbacks uh, in the zoning ordinance. Um, they did not. Require, uh, recommend any changes to the current golden mean standards in our in our one and family one and two family uh, design standards. Um, some other notes that they made was they uh, strongly recommend including Webster Street and the North Park Street areas in the traditional design area, um, and uh, they also recommend that uh, for windows keeping the standards for primary facades and then consider relaxing standards for other elevations, um, and then also uh, when considering neighborhood context that. Uh, disqualifying and significantly alter buildings from consideration as a reference building. Um, so yeah. So tonight we're we're kind of asking you to, to review and comment on the adopted standards and, um, and and discuss potential revisions. And so um, staff is here to answer any questions um, if you have any on on the presentation or or the standards themselves. And yeah.
0: Thank you for the presentation. Um, I see you. Um, yes, it, staff, it looks like you want to say something, so. Yeah, uh,
3: thank you, President Ruiz. I just want to uh, add a closing remark that um, we there's, there's a monthly meeting of planning directors in Alameda County. And I would say that um, since the planning board has adopted these objective standards, we're really the leader of the pack in the county. Other cities have been looking at our set of objective standards sort of as a model in the East, at least this part of the East Bay. And um, so, I guess the message to the board is we, staff doesn't feel like we need to start from scratch or do an overhaul. We actually think we have a very good set of standards, um, but we do recommend the uh, m- looking at these areas that uh, David and Henry presented to you tonight and, and focusing on on those particulars, um uh, items where we need some direction. And of course, take public comment and um, supplement with any other changes that you need. Um, the other part that we rec- staff recognizes where we need to work on would be more illustrations because even the staff from other cities are like, hey, w- w- Alameda, you have a good set of standards. When are you going to come up with the illustrations? So I think there is consensus that the illustrations would probably make our current standards even better. So. I want to leave the board with the, with those comments. Thank you.
0: Thank you, and just want to confirm this is a study session, so no actions will be taken, and we can start going through the same format. Have board questions for now before we go into comments, and we want to open for public comments. And what I would like to see is um, staff take our recommendation tonight and then um, incorporate it into the next version and bring it back to the board. Uh, for finalizing um, the revision, unless uh, other people have other members have um, other comments or in terms of this process. Does that sound good to everyone? Madam President.
4: Yes. Uh, Madam President, I'd like to make a point of order uh, re- regarding this that um, this is a big task that we have tonight, and with all the comments that are coming in, and my suggestion would be. THAT WE TACKLE AS A GROUP, AS A BOARD, THE LOW HANGING GROUP FIRST, THE THINGS THAT HAVE REALLY NOT A LOT TO DO WITH THE DETAILS, BUT THE GLOBAL ITEMS, LIKE ARE WE GOING TO INCLUDE West WEBSTER STREET, ARE WE GOING TO INCLUDE PARK STREET, WHAT PART OF THE RESIDENTIAL AREAS WILL BE INCLUDED, IF ANY, UNDER THIS, um, this IDEA of, OF BEING EXEMPT FROM THESE, THE MORE TRADITIONAL THING. AND ONCE WE'VE GOT GLOBAL AREAS DEFINED, then we can go into the detail of, of so WHERE we're going
0: so are you recommending pulling those out as actionable items
4: well as as once once the parameters of what this is going to be covered are set as a recommendation then we can go into the detail of what those what the remaining buildings are going to have to uh, comply with for these 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 objective standards definitely- i think it it, it if, we, if we buy if we bifurcate it into two parts, one globally, mm-hmm. these are the things, and then into the detail, I think it would be easier for everybody, not really everybody, but would be easier for me to understand <laughs> because you guys are a lot no, smarter you, than you I
1: am. No, you made a good point. Yes, um, board member Cisneros. Yeah, sorry, can I just ask a clarification question because um, I, I didn't see that really asked or um, in the scope of the recommendations from staff. Is this like in response to the, um, I forgot what it's called, the, the Webster BUSINESS ASSOCIATION AND SOME OF THE OTHER PUBLIC COMMENTS ABOUT, um, YEAH, LIKE THE, the LOCATION, and THE SCOPE. But oh, like, right to me. YEAH. YEAH.
4: <laughs> YES. I, 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 was, I WAS LOOKING AT THAT AND LOOKING AT THE QUALIFICATIONS AND I THOUGHT WHAT IS THE EASIEST WAY FOR US TO, to TACKLE THIS? ONE IS to, to, TO MAKE A DECISION ON THE BIG ISSUES mm-hmm. AND ONCE THAT'S MADE, THEN WE CAN GO INTO THE DETAIL AND GIVE IT AS MUCH TIME AS IT REQUIRES.
0: So that, that's, um, if there's no objections, we can bifurcate the discussions that way. So, but I still, would still like to first open up for any board clarifying questions. Thank you for the meeting. That's a, exactly a good clarifying question. Um, any other board member have any clarifying questions for the staff? Okay, I just have one confirmation. It's a, um, objective design review standards. If you deviate from that, you just have to go through discretionary review,
3: correct? That is correct. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's
0: not set in stone. There's like, this is the way, or there's no other way to get a project approved. If you abide by objective design review standards, then it can potentially be reviewed ministerially? Correct. OK. So just want to set that clear, so set the tone, so we all know that there is ways to deviate from these standards. Let's just try to streamline in, in um, compliance with SB35. Thank you. Um, now that's open up for public comments.
5: All right. Um, so the first speaker is uh, Dolores Kelleher.
6: Yes, good evening. My name is Dolores Kelleher. I am a longtime homeowner in Alameda and a current board member for AAPS. And I am here not only to support the details of the letter that was sent by Chris Buckley on behalf of AAPS, but to call out just three elements of um, the larger issues, if you will. The first one is uh, in the letter, is under multi B, multifamily standard, that's B1. Expand the TDA to include all of Webster Street Business District and all of the North Park Street area uh we uh, at aaps find this to be a good solution for addressing both the planning board's desire to allow greater design flexibility in some parts of alameda while still preserving and promoting design consistency uh with uh, existing buildings in alameda's older and historic neighborhoods under this approach the contact standards and certain other standards apply only within the tda the city uh, adopted the Webster Street Design Man- Manual and the Webster Street Vision Plan, which seeks to promote a traditional design character for their entire Webster Street business district, not just a portion uh, south of Pacific Ave. Similarly, citywide uh, review manual emphasizes traditional architectural styles for the entire part of North Park Street area. Uh, it's especially important and those details are in the letter I'd reference A to B2, uh, consider defining context area for Park Street, uh, Webster Street, and the stations as the entire area of each district, rather than using the five lot, 250-foot method. Uh, that's not really very well suited in our mind to historic business districts due to the frequent wide range of historic styles and some locations having significant gaps, such as parking lots and gas stations. V8. We lack some of the standards within the TDA and elsewhere to allow for 100 percent affordable housing projects. This is to address Alameda Housing Authority's comments earlier, and their concerns that Uh, Some of the objective vendors may contain provisions that increase affordable housing development costs This is a very important consideration And we are uh, have outlined a possible two-tier system in the letter that was presented that would allow for uh, This to go forward. Thank you very much
0: Thank you next speaker
5: yeah, nobody has their hand raised at this moment. I
0: no one? See. Okay.
5: Uh, oh. yeah.
0: Okay, with that yeah. said, that closed the public comment section. Oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry.
5: Yeah, Go. Chris Christopher Buckley just uh, raised his hand.
0: Great. Mr. Buckley?
5: Uh Chris, you, you can speak now.
3: Looks like he's raising his hand again in another session.
7: Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um, Christopher Buckley with the Alameda Architectural Preservation Society. Um, so, um, there, I sent some image for screen sharing. Can we see the images? I'm,
5: yeah. Pulling them up right now
7: And uh, well, while we're doing that, um, I'd like to emphasize the, the um, observation that the uh, president has made that the, um, if an applicant finds the objective standards too restrictive, they can always go through discretionary design review. Uh, the images I'm showing uh, pick up the comments of the previous speaker uh, that shows the traditional design area as it currently stands and let's see let's get that right side up there there we go and you can see in the hatching there's a there's a hatching that shows the north park street area that we recommend being included in the traditional design area this doesn't show the webster street area but i think that's clear basically goes up to al would be the um recommendation um and then the, uh, the second image shows some typical buildings within the north park street area that we think are very historic and should set the tone for new design in that area. Um, Turning on to other um, points, um, the previous speaker made reference to section B2 doing a different approach for the context, for purpose of context in the historic business districts. This is an example of an approach that board member Curtis referred to that we'd be asking the board tonight to endorse taking a look at a different approaches, the context in these areas, and then as follow-up, coming up with details. And we suggested some details or possible options in our letter. Um, moving on to item um, B6 in our letter concerning windows. We had a rather extensive discussion with staff on that. Uh, one of the ideas that came up was to um, allow, as the HAB noted, um, you know, keep the visually match standard for street-facing elevations, but perhaps do some relaxations on other elevations. Um, we've also included a copy in our materials of the window diagram showing dimensions that define visually match that you use in the Guide to Residential Design. We're suggesting some modifications of those dimensions to provide more flexibility. Turning to section C on the 1-2 unit um, standards, um, uh, item one, adversely altered buildings We're actually recommending that there's an effort, if there's going to be an addition or change, that's assumed that the buildings are restored and the changes to the buildings uh, would reflect that restoration approach. They don't have to restore it now, but in the future, it allows restoration. And then finally, item four, C4, apply multifamily standards context provisions to one and two unit construction on vacant lots and front portion of a development lot. Um, because it's a context that's critical there, not the existing building. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Buckley. Do we have any um, other speakers?
5: No, we do not.
0: Okay. Thank you. That um, concludes the public comment section of this agenda item. Um, with that said, that's an open up for board member. Yes, um, staff member, Dong. Uh,
2: President, um, I just wanted to add one more note about the HAB meeting. Um, the HAB did um, want the board to consider adding the one and two, store, uh, two family homes, um, the, adding the TDA to that, to those um, mm-hmm. okay. requirements.
0: Would you mind doing me a favor and just call up um, HAB's um, recommendation, that slide where you have it summarized so we can have it up available? Okay. I think that would be a good starting point. So while staff is pulling that slide up, um, I would like to open this um, for board comments, but that's a focus our discussion, the first round on the TDA boundary mm-hmm. and whether it should inc- uh, be added to the one and two family objective design review standard or not. Uh, board members, Cisneros?
1: Yeah, can I ask a question first before digging into comments. Um, uh, Can you remind me, a question for staff, why we uh, picked the area that we did for the TDA? Like, why not all of Webster Street or North Street?
3: Yeah, um, that's a good question, board member Cisneros. Um, So, when the planning board first worked with staff on developing the standards, I think we could boil it, the board's direction down to really three key themes. One was, hey, ensure the standards do uh, lead to good design. So think about specific direction that um, that you'd want the developers to follow, and not always ask for the discretionary path. Right. So good design is principle number one. Number two was um, ensuring that there is still. Uh, vari- good architectural variety. That was kind of the second point. And if you look at the TDA map, it already covers much of the island. And um, I don't know if, I don't remember if specifically the board had uh, looked at development sites. But if you look at the TDA map, if you also colored in the wedge area, then the only sites that you're You're basically calling future development sites would be northern waterfront that wouldn't be subject to the TADA as well as the uh, South Shore Shopping Center. So those would be the only sites remaining. And I remember the board acknowledging that you didn't want to have the entire island be following that that theme. Um, The third principle really was to be mindful about not adding cost to uh, development, particularly um, this was a time when it was shortly after uh, the Everett Commons project appeared on the cover of LA times being one of the more expensive uh, affordable housing projects in the state because of um, the carpentry labor. One of the factors. But I remember those were kind of the factors the board had discussed.
1: Thank
0: you, that makes sense. Any other um, comments? Oh, questions, additional questions? Yes.
4: Well, For well, just just to, to build on what, what you said, um, then what you're saying is that if most of the island is, un, uh, is under the, 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 the TDA, then, then all of Park Street and all of Webster Street could very well be under that too. And essentially all that we're talking about then is the only elements that are outside of that would be South Shore, and and um, and what South Shore
3: Northern Waterfront or the, the newer the newer
4: projects right
3: West Alameda
4: how about Alameda how Alameda. about Harbor Bay the Harbor Bay Shopping Center would that be under
3: uh, that would not be under the TDA no
4: so that would be another one and and the same thing with um, the north area where where um,
3: Alameda Landing uh, Alameda Point
4: all of the newer construction correct right mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, thank you.
0: And again, building on that point, I thought that when we were evaluating that TDA map, we also taken consideration on the age of the building that was majority um, constructed on that neighborhood. Did we not? Am I misunder remembering something incorrectly?
3: I think there was some discussion. Actually, um, David, do you mind sharing the um, map, putting the map on the screen, just so everyone can see. Um, I mean, looking at the map, there is also the uh, North Park Street, the proper North Park Street street frontage, where uh, that used to be our auto row, that is transitioning. Um, I think it's true that there are uh, older buildings along the side streets mm-hmm. in within that wedge neighborhood. Um, I mean, I think staff's position. I mean, we we would we would take either direction. I mean, I think. Yes, if you want newer buildings to um, draw context from the old. The the, uh, Everett Commons project, I think, is also in that neighborhood. Uh. For for staff's perspective, I think what's important to think about isn't just so much the boundaries, but what we're actually asking um, a project applicant to do if you are in the boundary, and what we're saying is, hey, if you are building a new building within the boundaries, we'd like you to take a look at the neighboring buildings, select from certain features that you think uh, would that would work, and mimic that in in your design. So it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what that won't yield would be Frank Gehry architecture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would not. That would clearly be. Um, uh, inconsistent with the TDA but I also don't think that for Alameda we, we want Frank Gehry necessarily within these boundaries either so not to pick on Frank Gehry but just as an example of a very fluid type of architectural very contemporary design so
0: thank you um, any questions or comments um. members
1: yeah, I guess I'll just share. I, I feel like the TDA is pretty broad-sweeping, um, and um, we have ambition, and ambitious goals and needs in Alameda with our housing element. So I, um, I like the themes that we came up with originally, and we want to provide the space for project applicants to be a little bit more flexible when they um, bring proposals to us. So I'm I I think I'm fine with keeping the TDA as as is, but I'm open to any pushback from others.
0: <laughs> Other board member comments? Yes. Vice President Holm.
8: Yeah and thank you. You know I I recall that this discussion came up a little bit during the housing element discussion when we increased the housing densities in the North Park Street area and also along Webster Street. And the concern had to do with, oh, density is going to really destroy the historic character of these areas. And my feeling was I don't think it's necessarily a density issue. It's kind of more of a design issue. So with the increased density, it does to me point towards maybe needing to ensure mixed-use projects if they're subject to objective design standards by SB 330 that we should, you know, have some Standards in place. Now, it, I, I agree with, um, with the planning manager that to me is about context of respecting if there's an adjacent or across the street or say in proximity historic structure that's next to what is being proposed. There needs to be some consideration. Um, you know, if there's a location within that same district where you know, there's not necessarily a historic building nearby, you know, such as along the auto roll area, then to me that allows more flexibility on, um, you know, design consistency. But within the north, I I do recognize that within, like, the North Park Street area, there are these historic-looking Victorian homes quite old that if someone were to build something next to it, you know, having some sensitivity to, to this, to the historic context along that street, or the immediate buildings, does make sense to to define some criteria.
0: Thank you, Vice President Hum. Other board comments. Member Ariza. Thank you. Um,
9: I mean, just hearing all the comments, I I, I guess I I was not. Able to come two weeks ago, so I wrote a letter and with some comments to the board because I wasn't going to be here. Uh, But what I kind of just want to bring up is that maybe we also need to include some general definitions or an introduction in which we explain, for example, what Alan just explained, like the principles, and we define good design, diversity in architecture, and or we could also define the criteria for projects that are in historic neighborhoods or that have, that that wouldn't be so detailed as the designs, the objective design standards are right now. I just feel that right now we talk about something very specific most of the time, like the windows should be recessed four inches, for example, or, and I feel like there is just a general, introduction and definitions and graphics missing. Um, But as far as adding the area for the TDA, I don't see a problem, like Alan was saying, either way, um, because at the end of the day, it's almost like the applicant will choose, pick and choose some of of the design elements that are around. AND THEN THEY WOULD HAVE TO EXPLAIN TO THE PLANNING DEPARTMENT OR TO US HOW THEY ARE USING THEM IN THEIR OWN PROJECT. CORRECT?
3: YES. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, IS THAT ALL THE COMMENTS? YES. THANK YOU. BOARD MEMBER CURTIS.
4: Yeah. TO ADD WHAT EVERYBODY SAID, EVERYBODY HAS got GREAT IDEAS AND, and the, the, con- THE CONCERN <laughs> of the people that have written in and the, the, the calls that I've gotten just to be responsive to the public on this is that what everybody seems to be afraid of or concerned about is that you're going to bastardize Park Street and bastardized um, Webster Street. And what, what they feel and what I feel is that if, if that's part of the TDA, then anybody who builds something new is going to is going to at least have the opportunity to have the input from the planning board as well as staff in keeping continuity to the two major arteries going in and out of Alameda. And that, that, that speaks wonders. One, it puts, it puts to rest the businesses and the people that are concerned, and it also is, a, is another, um, another action that will ensure that we've done our very best to keep continuity in those, those, those corridors coming in and out. And I don't see that it would do any harm to to have that extra level of assurance for for that for those two streets. Um, the rest of it, I think that staff is absolutely right. And really, the bottom line with Park Street and Webster Street is it is it it makes people feel good. The reality is, we're going to do a good job, and they are going to be built right. But at least it's it's put there as something that people can sink their teeth into and say, hey, we're doing a good job for the public and for the city. That, that's my concern there. Thank you.
0: Thank you for all the comments. Um, regarding the TDA, um, I, again, getting back to Park Street is, actually has a historic status while Webster Street doesn't, so I can in support incorporating um, the Wedge and the Northern Park Street into the TDA, but I cannot support um, incorporating Webster Street into it. And I have driven by that area because the area that I wanted to incorporate actually Frank's kind of adjacent to Alameda College, where all, you see all these modern buildings there, and there will result in no transition between the two. So I can see staff adding TDA to the Northern um, Park Street, but not the Webster Street. Um, So that's, does that give you enough?
3: Yes, certainly, yes, certainly. I mean, just one more note about the wedge is um, that is a gateway into Alameda Park Street.
0: To the historic district, Mm -hmm. so that's why I can support that. But if you really drive down Webster Street, you can see there's really no historic significance in the architecture. In the streetscape, there's vibrancy, but that is independent of the architecture itself. Right, right so, um, Board Member Curtis, can you support that? Yes. Okay, versus Nero, yes, thank mm-hmm.
8: you. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the concept. Um, to me, there is that certain portion, maybe from Alameda College, uh, towards the tube that, you know, that to me has no historic... You know, you know, at least not a strong historic sense to it. Mm-hmm. So that area, in my opinion, doesn't need to be included. To me, I'm, I'm thinking really of kind of where you start seeing those uh, storefront retail historic uh, areas between uh, I don't know I don't know which the, what the streets are, but you know, it's kind of you kind of recognize when you kind of cross over past Alameda College, a couple of blocks further south even, then then you recognize, that, oh, okay, this is the beginning of the Webster Historic District. So, so I agree, maybe it's not the entire length of Webster Street.
0: Okay, so now um, that gives you enough direction in that specific subject.
3: Yes, okay. and, and uh, also I think staff noted that last Thursday, the Historical Advisory Board also recommended to the Planning Board um, that you include this uh, North Park Street I
0: THINK, um, WOULD YOU MIND PULLING UP THE RECOMMENDATION ONE MORE TIME? SO um, I THINK HAB WAS ADVISING, RECOMMENDING BOTH THE WEBSTER STREET AND NORTH PARK STREET, BUT WE ARE RECOMMENDING JUST NORTH PARK STREET, BUT NOT THE WEBSTER STREET. CORRECT. Okay. So now that's a um, um, discuss other items that you proposed to us. Do you have a summary sheet or should we stay on this one?
3: Um, David, I suppose we could bring up the slides again and kind of go, let's walk walk through each item.
0: Board <laughs> member Curtis.
4: Why you have the, the, the recommendations up, um, I'd like to address the windows. Okay. Um, one of the things that was brought up again by the the uh, Alameda Historic Society was the, their suggestions of three-quarter inch setback plus the trim. And the reason that they that was done was done for, um, most of the older houses were done that way, number one, and number two, from a cost standpoint, it 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 reduces the cost of, of putting in the windows on on that side. So if you relax the window standard, a little bit to that three-quarter inch plus trim, you're talking about three-quarter, you're talking about an inch and a quarter um, setback on it on the windows generally if they use that standard pl- or more. And that, um, that might be something that's another easy one to consider from a cost standpoint. And that was just a suggestion against that, that recommendation brought that to mind to me and I just wanted to throw it out while we had the recommendations up there.
3: Yeah, wi- <laughs> windows is a is a big uh, a discussion topic for the planning division. We, we're we're talking about it almost on a daily basis. It's um, w- windows are somewhat complicated because there's many different uh, style of windows that differ based on based on the uh, age of the building, um, the sort of the setting. Like if you or in a Queen Anne Victorian, you'd have a different style of a window than if you lived in uh, Harbor Bay, one of the homes in Harbor Bay. So, and then also in new construction for the multifamily projects that we, that, we, um, that the plan board has approved. Um, sometimes you can't, we often have a two-inch recess requirement uh, in those conditions of approval. And oftentimes, during building plan review, they come back asking staff if if that could be reduced because it it has to do with kind of the method of construction, materials, and then just added cost to have to do the recess. So I think as the uh, standards are written today, it does provide enough flexibility. Um, I think we're staff, and I'm not sure if we're ready to dive in, do a deep dive on windows tonight. But um, we certainly do want to ask the planning board. We're, we're doing lo- we're doing a lot of homework right now to for staff to understand the different types of windows that are out there, and particularly for homeowners. If right now today, if you were to come into the permit center and you want to replace your Victorian wood window with something else that you buy out in the market that's new, you're it, often it's unclear what window uh, the city would approve and whether the contractor is willing to install it and whether our building, offic- uh, building inspectors will approve it. So we're, we're often having kind of a three-way conversation about, hey, is this the right window for the house? Uh, should I choose a different window? How does it affect costs? Is it waterproof? So just, just a little bit of a, uh, a clue to kind of the issues that we're dealing with. But
4: um, but but to better serve the public, for example, my neighbor at um, on the 900 block of Del Mar had a house fire and the, the house burned snapped substantially, he had no trouble bringing the house to code and replacing it until he got to the windows and the windows delayed his moving into that house by almost two months because they couldn't get the city to settle on the setbacks for the windows that were in there and the code wanted double pane windows and the windows that were in there were not double pane windows and all I'm saying is that, that, that when this is written, it should have the flexibility so that a homeowner doesn't bear the expense of, of trying to upgrade the windows to something that's energy compliant and still have the style in the house and that apparently that, that three quarters of an inch for the trim, you can always, that's a minimum, you can always go deeper than that. But at least it it, it it would alleviate the problems that a homeowner has if he has to replace the windows due to a fire or voluntarily just to save on energy, and that was that was the 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 genesis of why I brought that comment up. Thank yeah,
3: you. No. Thank you, and 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 thank you, Board Member Curtis, for bringing it up. It is it's actually a situation that we deal with almost on a daily basis at the counter, and and it's something that st- staff is. Um, trying to work hard to simplify. I mean, we we really want homeowners to be able to spend the money on their homes and not so much on permitting processes. And windows is something that we are trying to wrap our heads around. Um, It it likely has to do with a specific type of uh, more more so vinyl windows with nail-on fins that sort of uh, uh, mandate a certain installation method that checks the box for waterproofing, but maybe not result in the aesthetic result that we want. So, so that's something we'll, we'll, we'll bring, we'll, we promise we'll bring a, a window discussion to you. Maybe not tonight, but um, in, in the next meeting. We're, we're, we're working on it, and we're trying to narrow it down what the, it, it might be an issue with a particular window type, like vinyl and how and it's manufactured. Vinyl
0: window is the workforce, it's the workhorse. It is of, the economical,
3: yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It's the
0: predominantly.
3: Yeah, so it might, be, it might be, the standards might be, hey, if it's a vinyl window, and it's on the front of the house facing the street, we would like you to pay attention to these installation methods. It might come down to that, so.
0: Thank you, let's uh, that's, that's stay focused on the discussion and the Yeah.
3: So. Would the board like us to kind of walk through those topics that uh, staff had presented earlier?
8: Just why why don't we
0: just take one at a time and open up for, converse, yeah. for discussion? Mm-hmm. So, Vice um, President Hong?
8: Yeah, sure. I'll weigh in on windows. I, oh, no. Uh, oh.
0: oh, we're going to focus on the discussion now. Oh,
8: I thought we were you talking mean, about windows.
0: No, window is not.
8: We'll on bring the back design. windows back. Oh, okay. in a future meeting. Okay. You'll come back. Okay.
0: So,
3: uh, oh. I think right now we're talking about trellises.
0: <laughs> What's on the
3: Yeah, I mean, again, I just I'll just jump in unless Henry and David um, would like to chime in. But the issue here is I think our standards uh, require some sort of uh, aesthetic treatment, either uh, decorative, either for blank for walls. We we want either transparent windows, doors, if not um, some decorative features. Um, The issue is we don't think these plant trellises work. So I think that really the staff recommendation is if we could expand the um, standards to p- add more options, that would be preferable. I think the HAB, Historical Advisory Board, recommended planters, is
5: that yeah, that's correct. adding planters? To, to or... supplement the, the trellises with uh, ground, you know, planters on the ground right be- uh, ahead of them so that it adds to the vegetation when, uh, you know, when the trellises are, are struggling.
3: Yeah, uh, planters might be one option, but I could see that potentially also being a problem if you have a building right along the property line, then the planter would have to sit on the public right-of-way. And then planters also imply that there are plants mm-hmm. that would have to be maintained. Um, I think if you call for Alameda Landing on Fifth Street, uh, the board had approved these decorative... Um, Metal panels that are on the sides of the building. I think that could also be an eligible option. Um, we're just kind of looking for the board's suggestions for any other um, facade treatments you would find acceptable in lieu of a blank wall.
9: What about green uh, walls? I'm
0: um, so oh, sorry. Board members, please um, allow me to call on you. Oh, thank you. Board member um, has her hand up. So,
1: uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I guess. Uh, Question slash comment. Um, uh, I found like this um, HCD resource um, on objective design standards, and um, they kept it very broad, where it uh, just said like we discourage blank walls um, and encourage articulation. So um, I, I just wonder how specific or prescriptive we want to get, Um, I'm fine with that, Uh, like maybe just having like a list of options that we could brainstorm, but was curious how folks thought about that Um, and maybe having like um, a maximum length of blank wall shall be limited to X number of feet. And in this uh, guidance document, they said limited to 20 feet, but you know, whatever maybe amount we want. So just putting it out there for consideration.
0: Thank you. Board member Ariza.
9: Um, yes, sorry, I apologize for that. Um, I was just um, asking about green walls. I mean, because there are kind of already pre-manufactured ways to have plants that grow on walls, but it is also like a landscape feature. Um, but I, I like the idea Sumara has about maybe having options but allowing some blank wall and establishing a minimum or a maximum area rather.
8: We have that.
0: Vice President Hum?
8: Yeah, um, I, I, I like actually keeping the option of allowing plants and trellises. I've seen some really excellent examples of how this work. Usually it's on a south facing wall, it doesn't work on a north facing wall. Or, or a west-facing wall could work too, where you have good sun. Um, I, I like the HAB uh, suggestion of having uh, ground-level planters to you know supplement with additional landscaping. And but obviously, as as you were mentioning, if the right-of-way doesn't allow for it, then you need to pick another option. But uh, adding additional options, I think would would help um, rather than limiting it where you know one of the only options is. The trellis, which might not be feasible, especially on north facing wall. Um, the, the issue that everyone struggles with with objective design standards is that I think a lot of guidelines do have some provision that says maximum X number of feet of blank wall, but then you need to define, well, what do you need to do to interrupt that X number of feet of blank wall? and. Uh, Objective design standards, unfortunately, does require a higher level of detail than you would like, generally like when you, back in the days when you could depend on design guidelines and keep it kind of broad and allow staff some subjective discretion. So it's a struggle between not getting too specific, but needing to come up with standards that are definable.
0: Thank you for the. Um Clarification for, um, Vice President Hum. Any other board comments? No. Okay, um, I, I agree with uh, Vice President Hum that the objective t- design standards need to allow the staff to just go down the list and check rather than serving as a guideline. Otherwise, then um, it's hard for staff to just go through and we would not meet the, um, you know, the test of being objective. That's why this was just developed this way. Uh, with the check boxes, in terms of um, item um, standard number two B, we gave three options, um, and we gave three options, and the applicant does have only have to meet one. So there are still two other options, one of which is artwork, um, which they it can maybe we can expand that to include murals, so that it would be less. Um, Maintenance heavy, but and I, I can agree support the addition of um, ground level planter or any at any plane that does not encroach into public way um, that can be added to that. But I wouldn't remove trellis um, because they only have to pick one, and they don't have to pick the one that's n- most difficult to achieve. So does that give you the staff enough direction?
3: Yes, that's very helpful. Um, so, so the what staff is gathering is, we would uh, expand artwork to include murals, because mm-hmm. right now um, the decorative feature really implies it has to be something physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but murals, painted murals, I mean that that would be that would be a good addition, I think. And then also just um, adding planters as as the historical advisory board recommended.
0: Do other board members support that? Board member Ariza,
9: yes, I support that, and I just wanted to add to the painted, maybe also like mosaic murals or you know, other types, not, that not just painted. It's already it's already,
3: yeah, we have mosaics in here, mm-hmm. okay.
0: right? Board member Cisneros,
1: yeah, and I guess as part of the decorative pieces, you um, uh, mentioned Alan, um. THE METAL, I GUESS, um, DECOR OR. Yeah, DECORATIVE um, PANELS yeah, MADE OF METAL, THAT'S yeah, ON THE LIST. THAT'S LIKE THIS, gri- OKAY. Right, that's, that's, THAT'S AN
3: EXAMPLE I WAS POINTING OUT AS WHAT WE, uh, THE BOARD HAD APPROVED. OKAY. Previously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: GREAT. OKAY. YEAH, THAT WORKS FOR ME. Um, LET'S MOVE ON TO THE NEXT ITEM. Building entries or comments. Vice President Hum.
8: Sure, I'll weigh in on this one. Um, I know. I know one of the recommendations HAP was saying enclosed entries. Um, I'm not sure I would insist that it be an enclosed entry, but I could see when I look at these. OF PHOTOS THAT uh, THESE STAIRWAYS, THEY'RE NOT not REALLY PROMINENT AND MAYBE SOME WAY OF ARCHITECTURALLY HIGHLIGHTING THESE ENTRY ELEMENTS, YOU KNOW, A LITTLE BIT MORE SUCH AS AT THE GROUND LEVEL OR SOMETHING. BECAUSE RIGHT NOW THEY'RE BASICALLY A RECESS IN THE BUILDING WALL. SO MAYBE THERE'S A WAY TO, I'M NOT SURE WHAT, YOU KNOW, COULD BE OPTIONS, COULD BE A it could be an enclosed doorway or somehow an enhanced framing of the stairway element or something along that line, maybe as a projected overhang or something like that what that could somehow enhance that entry. But uh, I don't necessarily think there's any one solution. Again, it kind of depends on architectural style to uh, on what is suitable. But uh, I do generally agree that trying to enhance those those entries architecturally would be a positive improvement. Board Member
0: Curtis.
4: Um, I, I agree with, with Board Member Hahn, but I, I the problem that I have is that in the illustration that's up on the wall, um, if you close off that, that breezeway, um, what are you doing for the safety aspects of somebody coming into a closed breezeway um, when it's open it, it gives it gives a much more secure feeling as opposed to having a facade with an entry and having it lit inside to go up there. It might be warmer, but I think it would it would it could have some potential safety issues that wouldn't you wouldn't have with an open breezeway like this. And that's something that should be considered in in the design.
0: Thank you. Vice president.
8: Just sorry. I mean, one thing I'm looking at the picture. I mean, the railing is a pretty ordinary railing. One way to enhance that entry is just, you know, treating the stairs, the treads, and the, and the railing in a more decorative manner. I mean, something like that could improve the look of that entry.
0: There's no further more comments. Um, well, looking at these pictures, looks like these buildings are dated. They're not something that's constructible during this time based on the open riser. Um, so I don't think we'll get this exact example, but we do need to safeguard our, you know, the design of future projects. And I and this is a tough situation. I would recommend provide overhead weather protections with a certain dimension so that it covers and gives some prominence to that entry so it's not just a stair coming down with no and looks like an afterthought rather than, um, you, you know, you want to emphasize that is the entrance to the building. And having an overhead, ov- overhead um, weather protection feature, a roof over it can enhance that. And if we give a dimension upon, upon, once you exceed certain dimension, there will be structural requirements for you to have, you know, post and anchor down and just bring more prom- prominence to that. Feature. But you're right, this is, this is a tricky
3: um, um, situation. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, the reason why staff brought this to you is because uh, we did receive a preliminary application um, for a housing project that is sort of in this design configuration. So we, we immediately thought, ooh, I, uh, we're, we're not sure that this is a good design um you know, we, we wanted to bring this to the board's attention to see if there's there's some refinements um it's helpful uh, to get the feedback about um the stairs i mm-hmm. think designing the stairs and looking at some of the details so that it, it looks a little bit more solid and
0: substantial
3: integrate yeah integrate into the building um i, I recall that hab had some f- comments on this item uh about the entrances that, uh,
2: their comment was that it should have a door or some kind of enclosure on for this particular um, item. Yeah,
3: around the stairs, around the. St- mm-hmm. to,
2: so yeah. that IT shouldn't just be open, basically. Um, that I was think their having
0: comment. an enclosure can also add to security. Right. You know, to enhance the security, if you have a ground floor yeah. gate, so the stairs not directly onto the, the, the um, ground floor, so someone cannot just walk up. You, mm-hmm. you ended up with a secondary um, gate that you have to go through. So. OK. okay. Um, then let's move on to the next item. Primary entrance, building entrance, board comments. Um, Can you refresh? I know, um, staff, you have a recommendation on this, right? Yeah. I thought the recommendation was to um, maybe add primary entrance to the site, not just the building. Then that would solve the problem.
3: Yes. And I think, uh, help me out here if if, uh, you recall the details, but I remember the the question came up with actually an affordable housing project that serves a special needs population and in the situation um, the the uh, question is hey our our preferred entrance is actually the the back entrance to the parking lot because we don't want you know folks uh, i mean security was an issue and they didn't want to have multiple uh, Points of access, or or um, people, tenants um, wandering away off the premises um, without without supervision, and so so the question was, hey, but but the city standards require a front door facing the front of the building on the street, and so that's that's really what's driving the the, the question, um, and I think the suggestion was. in uh, in those situations, you could also create a site entrance. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the picture in my head that comes to mind is maybe like a s- small picket fence and an arbor, or some some way of communicating to pedestrians that this is the way onto the property from the from the public street. And it doesn't actually have to be a physical door entrance into the building. Did I capture that? So for
2: for these types of like a sensitive uses, senior uses, or possibly like if there's um, you know like a daycare or something there, will we be open to uh, allowing some kind of exceptions to it to allow the primary entrance to be on the parking lot side where, where um, tenants would be dropped off?
0: Mm-hmm. But again, refresh my memory, so they can always come back to the design review board.
3: They can go through the discretionary process, yes right.
0: yes. So if they cannot meet the objective design review standards, right? Because I I hear the concern. At the same time, I will also, we want to be mindful of what the street activation is. So what happens now is now we're creating a long street facade with no front door to the facade for the sake of the building's residents' benefit. You know, I understand this case. It warrants it. But what does that do to the streetscape in the long run? Um, So, you know, the applicant has the option to come back for discretionary review if they choose not to adhere to that.
3: Yeah, and and President Reeves, if I might just add, I think even in a situation where a developer comes to the board via discretionary review, staff would not recommend a scenario where the building turns its back to the street. Uh, particularly because, yeah, you, you might have, I mean, we're looking at buildings, right? We're expecting these buildings to be permanent and be there right. many, 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 many years. Um,
0: and the use can change. The,
3: the use can change, absolutely. So so I think we would still want a primary entrance, but then it's, the question is really, do we want to add some more options so that they can... Um, I mean, to me, the immediate feedback to that question was, "Yeah, well, well, why can't you just lock the door? <laughs> Keep the door locked and and secure it that way." So, but I I, I think the uh, there's a desire to to um, know if there could be additional ways to uh, meet the requirement, uh, but not necessarily have the a prominent front entrance on the front of the building if if it's not. Going to be used as the front entrance.
0: Um, I, I don't think I'll support that amendment. I'm open to other board members' suggestions, but board, uh, Vice President Hong.
8: You know, in the in part of you know the reason for objective design standards and the legislation behind it is to try to eliminate discretion for residential construction. You're trying to facilitate construction of residential projects in the city and. The longer it takes a project to get approved, the more costly it becomes. So I'm kind of mindful of the fact, let's not create so many possible standards such that they have to come to staff or come to the planning commission for discretion review because that defeats the purpose, I think, of trying to streamline residential approvals. So that's kind of a general comment. Um, with that said, I'm actually open to you know, defining in limited sense where you do allow flexibility for certain uses that may be a little bit more security um, mind, minded to allow for an option. I also think is a matter of context and location too, because you know I would insist on a front entry, say, if a project was located on Park Street or Webster Street. You know, really pedestrian feels really strong, but perhaps where a project located, I don't know where, maybe Alameda Point it might be a location where it's not as pedestrian oriented as other portions of the city, maybe that takes into consideration of the degree of flexibility you have. To me, the key is really, you know, making sure that facade facing the street doesn't look like a back of a building you know, the architectural treatment. That's, I think, one of the purposes of a front door is to try to promote architectural interest as well as pedestrian access. So if there's, if as as the walls to stability, in my opinion, looks like a front of a building, even though it may not have a front entry at certain locations, it may be okay. So I'm open to allowing some flexibility. Yeah.
3: Um, and also just, if I might add, The way it's currently written, it says uh, pedestrian access, direct pedestrian access shall be provided between the public sidewalk and the main building entry. And so uh, I think there was also a question that, hey, if we're going to lock that door 24-7 so the folks with dementia don't walk away, uh, is that meeting the standard? And staff's taking the interpretation that as long as you have an entry, and you can walk in and out physically, you, we don't, we're don't. we not going to get into the business of how you operate mm-hmm. the building. So I just want to make sure the board concurs with that. And that way, they could still have the building entry. They could manage it however they want for security purpose. But in terms of the design, like board member uh, Ham is suggesting, it, it does look like an entry yeah. onto the street.
8: You, you know, the one example, I, if I may just one example I think of, and I've encountered this, where, where a standard requires a front entry facing the street. So you have the case of, um, you know, I think the Walgreens has now the, the golf, uh, the miniature golf, mm-hmm. where you cry at the entry. They provided it, but it's basically closed off. And I think that's almost worse than, oh. than, you know, having this entry that you'd never use. So I would have insisted okay, if you can't, not really gonna have a functional entry, then do something nice at that corner you know,
0: but. Speaker
9: Um, Yeah, I, I just wanted to comment on on what board member Han said and, and also kind of add um, maybe a potential um, other solution. Um, I, I think that we're trying to make all the streets walkable and I think I concur with Teresa that, with President Rees that um, if, if we ask them to provide main entrances in the street, that's, that's going to be helpful for that, for um, making all the streets walkable, to promote walkability. Um, I mean, I was wondering if you could say, okay, maybe the main entrance is not on the main street, but so if you don't provide the main entrance, like for this example, if they didn't provide the main entrance on the, on the main street, but as an alternative, they would provide either commercial um, stores on some of their property or that, that would be towards the street or other mixed use offices or some entrances into units to the street. SO SOMETHING THAT WOULD ACTIVATE THE STREET AS AN ALTERNATIVE TO HAVING THE MAIN ENTRANCE ON THE MAIN STREET. Um, I DON'T KNOW IF THAT WOULD WORK. I THINK THAT ARCHITECTURALLY AND DESIGN-WISE YOU CAN SOLVE THOSE ISSUES IN MANY DIFFERENT WAYS. Um, BUT I UNDERSTAND THE CONCERN FOR THAT POPULATION,
0: THOUGH. THANK YOU. BOARD MEMBER Curtis.
4: That's, that's a good point, but you know, you, you, um, if you take, as an example, um, the 1300 block of Park Street, um, they're all stores that you see, but they really aren't. You have living quarters above. And so you have the storefronts leading into the stores, and with the exception of one door for one unit, the rest of the units are accessible around the corner up the back stairs into those units. So you have a combination of stores on the ground floor and the units up there, and these units were built probably in, in the uh, 30s, and that was a design that they did there. But you have that all up and down that 1300 block of Park Street um, where you have the, the e- entrance from the back and the storefronts in the front and separated by floors.
0: Yeah, that's a good example. That's a mixed-use situation, but I think this is what we're talking about just specifically to the multifamily, because mixed-use, we do allow that. We actually ask for residential entrance to be in uh, away from the main street in the mixed-use condition under Objective Design Review Standards. So um, again, in the, in the broader view, we're looking at the street life and street activation. Um, so I concur with it. Um, board member Hammond, and board member um, Ariza's comments. Maybe we can say, okay, if is the primary building entrance on the main street? Yes, no. And if no, are you providing these alternative options on the main street, such as prominent architecture feature, you know, or other uses that activates the street? Because it's about the the street presence that we're trying to build, you know, in spite of the building
1: use because the use can change.
0: Does that give you enough for members' yeah, Cisneros? I, yeah.
1: yeah, and um, I, I like that recommendation. And I was just going to ask, um, would we want to limit that, you know, the options to, like, senior housing or, like, um, housing for special needs, just, like, clarify the exception? I think component. for
0: special needs or mm-hmm. um, supportive housing. I think those are the only two exceptions, especially or child, child care, especially. But this is housing, so, so that, I think that gives you enough.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I still feel like this, this matter requires a little bit more of exploration and maybe looking at how other cities might be treating similar situations. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll study it and, and bring it back at the next meeting.
0: Of course. So I think we can probably combine the other two materials and equipment screens together. Oh yeah, this is the material treatment and the, the other one is the equipment screening screening, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's combine these two. Any comments? Sure. Vice President Hump? Yeah, sure.
8: Um, You know, I remember the the previous example, and and the concern, as I recall, was it wasn't four-sided architecture, even though the garage facade, um, it was just kind of more minimalistic. So to me, the key is whatever architectural articulation you require along the primary elevation, somehow it should be reflective all around. So it doesn't look like, obviously, this rear elevation was just ignored. The other thing I recall was the, the lower, ele- first elevation, they had like a change of material, but only on the, the, the faces, you know, fronting along a prominent the street or something. To me, that's an example of wrap around or four sided architecture. You need to wrap it around. Or as a minimum, I think we also said, you know, don't just stop at the corner. Somehow, if, if it's not going to carry it all the way around four sided, maybe it doesn't need to, you know, at least have it wrap around. You know, X number of feet, so it doesn't just end right at the corner. So, um, so generally, I think to me, you know, emphasizing 4 sighted architecture is is a key. Uh, and then, as far as equipment, I agree with the staff recommendation. You know, um, require it screened if it's facing the street. Allow it to be unscreened if it's not visible from the street, such as on the side or the back.
0: Any other board comments? Board Member Ariza. Um, Just kind of
9: to clarify, is the problem here where it says problem appearance of facades flanking drive aisles and alleys, is the problem then that because we're asking them to return 10 feet, only 10 feet beyond that the facade won't be appealing? I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding the problem. Yeah, no,
3: thank you for that question, Board Member I think the concern is um, we wouldn't want developers to sort of cheapen or dumb down the appearance of what they consider the, the drive aisles. Because, in um, particular in townhome developments, the drive aisles might be the backyard where the kids hang out. I mean, so we want good quality architecture, as Vice President Hom suggested, four sided architecture around the building. So, staff agrees with that amendment. But yeah, that, the yes. concern is we, we, we don't want any sort of uh, cheapening of, of uh, facade materials or design on, on the sods that aren't facing the streets.
9: Would it be sufficient to, to say for us to define the drive aisles and alleys as, as streets as well? Or is that too much to ask from the developers?
3: I think, in terms of a fix to the standards, um, the foresighted architecture approach is probably the CLEANNESS.
9: Okay. I guess I, I'm having trouble understanding that, the foresight and oh. architecture, how you would define
8: it. Yeah, I, I, to me, I think it's irrespective of whether it's facing an alleyway or a, a more visible public street. To me, the, the integri- architectural integrity of a building. Maybe there's some slight differences, you know, but uh, generally you should see some consistent architect treatment around all four sides of a building. It's just, that's just my the view on it. Okay, yeah.
0: got it. Any other comments? And I can support um, Vice President Holmes' recommendation as well, four sided, and as well as staff's uh, recommendation on the equipment. My only concern is cost, because when you ask for foresighted architecture, you are adding cost to the construction, so um, I think there's a fine balance between the two, and then the, at the minimum, at least carry the ground plane, the ground floor treatment, because that's where the pedestrian interaction happens. So that would be, you know, at a minimum, I would like to see that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So then, let's that, move to I think the last item on on um, the staff list is the golden means, right? I think this only applies to actually there's two things on the one and two families. The golden mean is one of them. The other one is uh, do we want to apply the TDA map to the single family, right? So. Um, Let's talk about that together, and because both both of these are for single-family. Yep, that's correct. Okay, for mm-hmm. Member Curtis.
4: My question is with, with, with staff. It, the TDA IS already over most of the single-family residents in Alameda, isn't it? Yeah. So um, I mean, if you look at the map, it it uh, pretty much covers everything except for South Shore, where you have those big apartment book buildings with the flagstone, and. Most of the stuff that isn't there is pretty much commercial, multi residential stuff um, that's on there. So I think that, that that's not an issue anymore. Yeah, so,
3: Board Member Curtis, um, just as a reminder, we ha- the board adopted two sets of design standards. Uh, the TDA map that, you're, that we had talked about applied to the multifamily, which under state law is defined as two or more units and then because of SB9 this is the, the state law that requires cities in zone, R1 zoning districts allow duplexes and the lot splits and that law requires the city to also adopt objective standards so the planning board adopted a separate set of objective standards just for SB9 now to date it's been almost two it's been what two years and we have yet to receive our uh, first application but the suggestion is that the concept of the TDA and the neighborhood context should also be imported and embedded into the, um, the uh, SB9 design standards.
4: I agree, but if, if you recall when we talked about the SB9 standards, if I'm not mistaken, one of the, the caveats was that the front elevation of the houses would had to be consistent with the neighborhood and fit into the, the that design standard was. Had to fit in so that that the house was consistent. The rest of it was a little bit looser, but that was the one thing. So if if you're if you're looking at the design standards, taking the TDA across the board, I don't see where that that would be a problem today. Um, As long favor, because it
0: so you're in favor of adding TDA to this yes. one and two family. Okay, thank you.
3: Right, so, so I, I think the, the, there's, the devil's in the details. Um, for a single family home in the context, we would just have to take a look at the context standards and mm. um, sort of identify what, what is the context for that one house. Are you looking at the entire block, the entire neighborhood? How far down the block do you want to look at for reference? Um, you know. So I think staff could take a look at that and, and, and bring that back
0: yeah i i can support adding the tda map to the 1 and 2 family objective design review standards mm-hmm. which means that we need to add the neighborhood context section currently is not in the in the um ob- objective design review standards
3: right for the yeah. for the 1 and 2 family which we wrote for sb9 right which nobody to date has applied for um i i would also but um i think there is value in looking at it because the way uh, the state legislature has been passing laws, I, I, I can imagine one day the state legislature saying, hey, with the housing crisis, everything needs to be subject to objective standards. Um, and so what I think the work we're putting in today uh, is, is future-proofing what we have to do later on. Um, the one question I would pose for the board is, um, when we look at SB9 projects, and even for a lot of the what I would call backyard infill strategy that we've uh, included in our housing element and the zoning amendments, if somebody's building a building in the backyard that's shielded from the street by the front house, do you want neighborhood context standards to be applied? I mean, do you want to hold those, the backyard infill to the same standard as if somebody was building a house on the street?
0: I don't think so, but that's. I'm
5: mean, yes, just just I, a question.
3: We, we're not making a decision tonight, right, but just
0: <laughs> yeah, not putting you on the president. spot. This there's, is just uh, no, a question for. There's a fine balance between the two, so depends on how close it is to the neighbor's house as well. That's, uh, but that's a more of a privacy issue than design.
4: Yeah, I agree.
3: Yeah, um, just for reference, uh, under ADU. Or Alameda's ADU uh, regulations. Um, I think the shape of the building has to mirror the front house. Mm-hmm. You have the same roof pitch. So it's already um, there. yeah. So we could, if the board feels like that's satisfactory, we could simply um, use those standards too.
8: Remember, um, since you mentioned ADU, just since because I'm involved in in this area in another city. You know, uh, what is becoming more prominent now that maybe there's state legislation being proposed also is the uh, pre-designed ADU modular units and uh, pre-permitting these units to facilitate ADUs. And these modular units, you know, may not necessarily match very well the existing architecture for home. So one of the issues is if you Require them to really match the existing main home; it precludes the probably most of the pre-modular ADUs. And there's some really nice-looking pre-modular ADUs, but they don't look Victorian. Uh, they're kind of these cute little units. Um, I hate to use the word cute, but anyway. Um, yeah, that, so, that's a good
3: point. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, so
8: that's I think that's something to be considered. I don't know what the answer is, but some some flexibility in. In allowing, I think the modular ADUs for affordability purposes should be also considered.
3: Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up, Vice President. Um, um in fact, state law says if it's a uh, prefabricated unit, you have to approve it. So, oh. so we actually have that exception in our ADU ordinance. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So if somebody's buying a unit, ordering it somewhere, and they're just bringing it in with a crane. That's the design we have to approve.
8: Oh, okay, okay. Again, that's good is, to know. And that's
3: the throughout power. the state of California.
0: Right. And this, but this is for SB9. This in this case, yeah. A, we're
3: not talking a, about ADUs. We're, not we're talking about The mm-hmm. so objective <laughs> design review
0: standard is for SB9 when someone goes in and subdivides the lot into two separate lots. So that's what this applies to.
8: Right. Yeah, there's, I'll tell you, there's a discussion about prefab SB9 units, too. It's not as far along in the discussion as the ADUs, but that... Multifamily modular is becoming a little bit more, you know, I don't know where direction is going to head. It's too early to tell.
3: Yeah, And increasingly, a lot of housing products are uh, coming in prefabricated. We have a hotel project at Harbor Bay that will likely be um, modular prefabricated construction, which is going to be interesting.
0: So I think that addressed the TDA. Question now, um, looking back at the um, raising building. um, Can you refresh everybody's memory? Um,
3: Yeah, so uh, the golden mean um, in Alameda here refers to a uh, sort of an architectural rule of thumb about proportions. Um, and it dates back to, I don't know, Greek and Roman architecture, uh, ancient architecture, where buildings are typically designed, if they're multi level, to have the lower, the proportion of the lower level be right around 60% of the height of the upper level. So in the photograph, you could see that proportion um, uh, on this older style home. What a lot of uh, homeowners are doing over the years in Alameda is in order to create um, a habitable basement, they want to convert the basement into living space or an extra bedroom, whatnot. Um, They find it easier to, and also as part of uh, repairing or replacing the brick foundation of these older Victorians, they're raising, lifting the building up, building a taller foundation, adding on to the height, Um, but what that does uh, is it, it extends the front stairs. It basically destroys the proportion that um, you, can, you can see on the photograph here. Actually, are you able to pull up a street view? Google street view. No, probably not, okay. I was thinking there's an example um, right at Buena Vista and Oak Street. Right at the corner, you'll see two homes uh, the corner house has been lifted, and then the house next door is a twin of that home that is in its original proportions. So, uh, Buena Vista and uh, Oak Street, just just up the block. Um, there we go, uh, to the right. So you could sort of see, well, they're not twins, but you could sort of see the, the the home on the corner there uh, has been has been lifted. Maybe the street view doesn't give you the the proportions so well, but um, the front stairs are a little bit uh, stretched, elongated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, about twenty years ago, the planning board then had adopted residential Guide to Design, and in in the design standards adopted the guideline for the golden mean. Um, so we use that rule um, whenever homeowners want to lift the house. Now there are alternative ways to address the golden mean, such as you know you can build up the um, the landings at the bottom of the stairs so that the stairs don't appear to be elongated. Uh, we've seen other treatments where you know there's that horizontal belly band around the house. Uh, we've seen homeowners um, adjust that a little bit. Um, so that the, the proportions appear to stay with the original and even um, in some cases adjusting the porch level so that it is one step down from, from the, uh, from the f- uh, living floor, for the floor, uh, so, so it appears on the outside to keep the original proportions. The issue that we're running now and, and, um, uh, is that we're, we're looking at sea level rise, climate change issues, there's now a concept of emergent groundwater, where in Alameda, I mean, we're already facing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of homes are sitting on a high water table. People are installing sump pumps in the basement, and there are some pumps that are just running constantly and just pumping out water into the streets. Um, so this is just an issue that we're we're flagging. That hey, if we consistently require Homeowners to excavate instead of being able to raise their house to create habitable space um, what what are we actually forcing homeowners to do i mean there there's um, with this groundwater issue um, there comes a time where it's just not going to be feasible to to use f- some pumps so and we, and we just don't think that it's uh, good practice to encourage homeowners to um, pump that water out into the streets, and there's nowhere else for that water to go. And so the question is, hey, do we, do we want to explore some exceptions to this rule where, um, where you have homes that are shown on, on that emergent groundwater map? And David, if, if you wouldn't mind bringing that up. It's all part of the climate Correct. action resiliency conversation.
0: Thank you for the um, detailed background of information. Um, Board comments. Um, Um, Board member. Oh, sorry. Cisneros.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, and um, I support staff's recommendation, um, and perhaps we could um, offer some alternatives. So, um, yeah, I think it Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Other
0: board comments? No. Um, Board member um, HOM?
8: I. Yeah, this one I struggle with because I. I see how architecturally it, it kind of, it, it just seems out of character Victorian home full 2 level. But I'm totally sensitive about the sea level rise, floodplain issue. Um, I know the HAB had some suggestions on how it could be accommodated, maybe mitigate architectural. So some of the suggestions you just raised, Alan, could be a way to mitigate the design. But I do see, when I've seen a, examples of, like mainly Victorian homes or craftsman style homes and they're full story above it. And then the stairway, this long stairway, it just, um, it, it just seems like um, the design has been severely compromised. But so I kind of struggle with that. I don't have a, <laughs> a good direction on it, but I recognize the concern. Yeah, if it can be treated architecturally to mitigate it, I'm all for allowing that flexibility.
0: Any other board comments? Um, I yes. Yeah, I,
3: President I, Riz, um I think the staff recommendation here is to um, allow us to memorialize some of the options that I described. Um, those were sort of the ways that mit- mitigate that, you know, awkward appearance um, that Vice President Hama just um, described. I mean, those are those are things that we have implemented and seen homeowners uh, and and their architects implement over the years, but they're not officially memorialized as options. So, so, um, so we would propose to document those suggestions, those alternatives.
0: So what I would recommend is um, come up with exceptions for um, homes that falls under this map, this emergent um, groundwater map. That's uh, the only time where the exceptions will apply. And then in under the exceptions list um, list of alternatives um, to meet the design review standards. Another way is if you raise beyond the, the golden means proportions, you add another base. So it you know you become not just top and bottom, but you also have another base, because your raising is so much higher. So instead of two stories, maybe it's two and a half. But the bottom floor makes a little. And then your entry is not to the second floor, but to the, the new first floor.
3: Yes, and that already is in our design guidelines. Um, I, I think the staff preference would be to just make that a universal uh, recommendation. Op- you know, these alternatives uh, universal to any homeowner in media, whether not or not they're on now. the
0: not tied to this map. Correct.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well. Because because um, we think it, it fills an important um, housing need. I mean, families are growing; they want to be able to expand in, in, in the basements and um, and where they. Do you want to raise the house to a certain point where it exceed, where I mean, and even within the mean we have a range, 0.6 to 0.7, roughly. Um, Understood. So yeah, we would like to continue that practice. Yeah,
0: you'll come back with the recommendation. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I think that's the last item on the staff list, okay. right? Uh,
5: yeah, if you had uh, specific items that you would want illustrations on or for staff to work on illustrations, that was the, the only other question.
0: Um, I think I would recommend that we kind of adjusted the recommendations and then we come um, and then point to us which ones that I can understand the front entry, some illustration can help, but just be mindful that some that illustration, they are not the actual Standards, they're just to help to illustrate the concept. Right. okay. Board Member Ariza.
9: Yeah, I just wanted to add that I think it's helpful to have as many illustrations as possible, but frame them as examples, because it, it helps people understand. Right.
0: And these are very helpful. You can right. see that.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I also would like to like the board to know that um, we, staff could certainly use help with el- illustrations and um, even folks in the community who may be watching, if you have an interest in um, helping staff with illustrations. Um, I think th- th- when we put together the uh, guide to residential design a number of years ago, I mean, some of that work was done by community volunteers. Mm-hmm. So um, just, just want to uh, pass that word out, <laughs> send that message out. Mm-hmm. Um, Otherwise, um, the city would be, uh, we would probably look for a consultant to help us with developing the illustrations, but we don't currently have somebody on board with the illustrations.
0: Understood. Okay, with that said, we conclude this agenda item. Oh, I'm sorry, Board Member. Yeah, I
8: just wanted to kind of offer a couple additional comments that maybe not covered Um, based on our review of some past projects. First of all, I fully support the more illustrations, the better. You know, sometimes it's also good to show good examples as well as don't do this examples. You know, that sometimes is helpful. I know it's helpful in guidelines. But um, the couple of things that came to my mind is. One is we had a discussion about pitch roofs in um, and I know the discussion was making that citywide now I, I don't think pitch roofs should be required citywide, but you know maybe it's a context for the single family and two family dwellings where, where you see predominantly along a street, you know it's generally pitch roofs to kind of try to encourage the same continuity of of that kind of roof design rather than suddenly a house coming in using the full height limit and is maybe they're able to squeeze a three story uh, element with a flat roof. That, in, in I think, in a more mixed use setting is probably fine, uh, but maybe in a single family, uh, two family zoning district, trying to emphasize consistency in the roof line, especially if the predominant character is, has pitch roofs. I think that came up in a a discussion uh, that we had before. Um, One thing is about balconies. Uh, There was one example of a project where the balcony basically was just added on and extended out from the face of the building. It's almost like an add-on. And even in the two examples you provided where the architecture is fairly, you know, plain, the balconies are kind of recessed and they're kind of integrated into the facade and to me, balconies that are treated that way, where they're a little bit more integrated, recessed, or to me, that's more effective than just seeing these balconies that you see in some, some housing developments where they just literally is just extending out from the wall, you know, just hanging out there. So, I mean, so some standards to deal with balcony design, I think, would be beneficial. Um, let's see. The other, the other comment is to, and we talked about when a project would, can be ministerial re- approved and would it be discretionary. It m- might be good to, I ha- still have some confusion, perhaps it's just me, confusion of when a project requires discretion review and when it doesn't. And I'm maybe taking a look at the, 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 the approval process and see if there's any clarification for that. I remember there's some projects that came to us and we said, well, why is this coming to us when we really don't have any, any kind of like um, discretion, you know, and because it was site plan review or something like that, like, or design review. So I don't know whether that's necessary, but take a look at yeah. whether that process. Would is Would you like me like. to answer that
3: question? Yeah. 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 So um, state law mandates w- which projects uh, require are subject to objective standards. Um, there are. Uh, for example, SB 35, um, the Housing Accountability Act also mandates certain projects uh, to be, apply objective standards. However, in Alameda, often we have uh, requirements for developers to also apply for development plan approval, and this this is a function of our zoning that requires the development plan to be approved by the planning board. So. When there is a project that is coming before the board for development plan approval, often they also have a subdivision map. Those are actions that are, uh, those are applications that require planning board and then council approval. We just bundle them together. So the projects that you've seen recently, like for example, the um, on the former Penn Zorro site, the 90 town homes last, uh, uh, late last year, that actually came with a subdivision map. So we basically bundled it together and and we were letting the board know, yeah, the, the subdivision map has to move on to council for approval, but at the same time, um, it's, we're going to bring you the design review. We're not going to separate that, but we'll let you know that um, the design review is to be done according to the, the objective standards checklist. I think, uh, so
8: I think, yeah, I think that I, you understand that. It would also be good to clarify what, what items are appealable, to. That seems to be a, a little bit of a question that always gets asked. Um, just a final comment, this is just kind of a global comment uh, regarding affordable housing and having different standards or more relaxed standards for affordable housing. I totally understand the economic um, realities of all of that and the sensitivity of, of the cost impact on affordable housing. Um, at the same time, I also have a concern that you start creating this perception in the community that affordable housing is a different type of housing. we allow it to be plainer. And, you know, there's always, to me, there's already a stigma about affordable housing. Most most times people see affordable housing project, they can't even tell the difference. But when you start defining these 2 tier development standards, I'm just a little concerned that it might help aid the, illusion out there that affordable housing is cheap housing that'll lower your property fa- of course it doesn't I'm just saying that's the perception and it just lends to that the other thing is affordable housing especially hundred percent you know through the state density bonus ordinance you're allowed like unlimited waivers or you know a certain number of exceptions so if certain standards are are legitimately has an economic impact on the feasibility of a project they're they're WE'RE REQUIRED BY LAW TO ALLOW THESE WAIVERS. SO PART OF ME IS UNDERSTAND THE ARGUMENT, BUT AT THE SAME TIME, THERE'S A STATE MANDATED uh, ABILITY FOR THESE PROJECTS TO, to uh, YOU KNOW, WORK AROUND THOSE OR GET THOSE WAIVERS OR EXCEPTIONS. ANYWAY, THOSE ARE MY COMMENTS. THANK YOU. Okay.
0: GOOD. Board MEMBER CURTIS.
4: I, I just couldn't agree with um, with Board Member Han Moore, But the I, I disagree in that that architectural considerations should take precedence over cost. I think that afford, affordable housing um, there's no such thing in Alameda anymore as affordable housing. Housing is expensive, labor is expensive, and if we're going to build things that are, are reachable, we need the participation of the city. On deed restricted, I'm talking about 100% affordable deed restricted units, and the primary goal is to provide housing to the people and a way of and and a, and, a, and and um, um, enjoy uh, uh, enjoyable satisfaction of their housing, and that should be the number one concern. And architecture, if there ha- if, if a if there's a have to be a compromise in ultimate architectural. Um, considerations i would prefer to make the compromise and provide the housing than to have the the cost of these units out of reach and and you know you can always retrofit the units to make them look prettier but right now our biggest need is housing and if there's any way that we can write that that idea into into this ordinance or whatever we're going to be using i think it's really important to let them know that the city is proactive with providing housing to those people who really need it. Yeah. Now I get off my soapbox. No, I, I don't disagree.
0: <laughs> Thank you for the comments. Uh, we're not talking about, but this is just objective design review standard review and.
3: May, may staff just make one comment related to that. I, I think uh, both of those comments are, are valid and um, I just want to share some c- feedback that we got from another city about our standards and and one of which was um, that our standards actually currently do a very good job at providing the menu of options and flexibility where where uh, if cost is a concern for like an affordable housing project, that they'd be able to take advantage of those options, but that you still get a good design where you can't tell what's affordable and what's not. And I think that's something that Alameda has done very well over the years is not making our affordable housing look like a stereotypical affordable housing, whatever that is. I mean, you can't differentiate it. I and mean, they just, they're all very integrated. And I think our standards um, still do that very well. But so, that's—that's that's a. those are good points made, thank you.
0: I couldn't agree with more. Yeah. Thank you. Now let's move on to agenda um, 5B. Oakland Estuary Bridge Project. The staff have a presentation.
3: Yes, and I'd like to introduce uh, Rochelle Wheeler, our senior transportation coordinator who will be joining us remotely, and she has a presentation for us. And I... do we have Rochelle on? I see her on this computer screen.
10: Hi, yes, okay, i We here. can hear you.
1: This
10: is my first time presenting remotely for a meeting. Uh, so, I do have a slideshow. I don't know who's bringing that up, but um, if you could bring that up, that'd be great.
3: It's on the screen now.
10: And I know you guys have. Oh, okay. So, I don't get to be able to see it, huh?
0: It's not on this screen.
10: Is there a way that I can see it? Oh, there I see it now.
3: Okay. It, yeah, it's coming up. There we go. Great.
10: Go. Okay. I got it. All right. Great. Okay. Great. All right. Well, um, I am, I, um, good evening, President Ruiz and members of the planning board. I am Michelle Wheeler, senior transportation coordinator in the city's planning building and transportation department, department and I'm the project manager for this Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge project. Um, I know you've already had a long meeting, so I'll try to keep this um, presentation brief. Um, to give you an overview of the project and to tell you where we're at with it now and also to give you an opportunity to ask any questions. This is uh, an information item only, uh, no action requested. Uh, Next slide, please. As you all are keenly aware, Oakland and Alameda are at the center of a growing metropolitan region and MTC projects that um, the two cities together will grow by about 230,000 people by 2040. Uh, and most of this new housing will be built in the downtown Oakland area and the West Alameda area. Uh, and yet, as you can see in the slide, these two cities are separated from each other by uh, less than a 1,000 foot wide Oakland estuary. And the only transportation links here are the Posey and Webster tubes. Next slide. These tubes are State Route 260, uh, also called State Route 260, and owned by Caltrans, Um, and while they mostly work for motor vehicles, although they can get backed up sometimes, um, they are extremely deficient for anyone walking or biking. The existing three-foot pathway in the Posey tube, as shown in this photo, is um, felt to be unsafe, scary, and unhealthy by most people who use it. And indeed, many who've tried it once uh, say they'd never do it again. Uh, Caltrans has essentially made all the improvements they can in this, in this, um, in this tube for the pathway users um, as part of the Oakland Alameda Access Project, uh, which uh, Caltrans will convert the maintenance path in the Webster tube. Uh, into a new through pathway as shown on the right. Uh, But this will still only be a four foot wide path, really still quite deficient, and is not a long-term fix. Next slide. You can see also that this gap in connectivity extends for um, five and a half miles uh, between the um, uh, Alameda and Oakland um, from the Park Street Bridge uh, to the western tips of Alameda and Oakland. There is no bike pad connection between these uh, in this five and a half miles. Next slide. And we know that this gap impacts far more than just Jacqueline and West Alameda residents. Uh, we know from using mapping as shown here that this could connect people to jobs, shopping, and recreation from Treasure Island to the west to El Cerrito uh, in the north to San Leandro in the south. This is the walk, bike, shed area for people walking, willing to walk, bike, or use an e-bike for up to 30 minutes. And um, this, obviously, this bridge would also be connecting people to BART or to ferry, uh, allowing people to travel even further around the Bay Area. Next slide. So, we've known the critical importance of this gap for many, many years. Um, In 2009, the city completed an estuary crossing feasibility study, which looked at 17 different crossing options of all different types, and a bridge was selected as the top long-term option. And in uh, the city, in 2021, developed a more detailed study that confirms the technical feasibility of a bridge that meets uh, the Coast Guard's navigational requirements. And today we're um, working on an even more detailed feasibility study, which is the phase we're in now, called a project initiation document just for this bridge. And we're very grateful that all of these phases have been funded by the Alameda County Transportation Commission. Um, Next slide. So we have three objectives for this phase that we're in right now. First is to complete the, oh, oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) Can we go to the next slide and then come back to this one? Uh, So yeah, we have three objectives for this phase. First is to complete the PID, and the PID will provide the technical foundation for the next phases of the bridge design and implementation process. Uh, what the PID will not do is select an ultimate alignment and will not determine the final design of the bridge. That will be happen in the next phase. The purpose is to establish the project development support costs for the next phase, uh, to show that the project is technically feasible, and to develop enough specificity to determine the upper-end planning-level cost estimates, the technical and environmental study needs, the right-of-way needs, uh, a schedule, and also to start gathering community input. So while much more design work and community engagement will happen, therefore, in the next phase, uh, we are using this opportunity right now to collect input and engage with community and leaders right now to uh, grow the project, knowledge of the project, and build broad support for the project. Finally, we want to set the project up for success. Uh, we need to ensure that the project will have the political and community support uh, to identify a designated agency to lead the project's next phase and to designate environmental leads to find funding for that phase and to ensure that the community is heard are incorporated into the project. Uh, so now back to the previous slide, please so over the past five or six years i'd say the project has been uh, included in 12 different planning documents at the regional county and local levels really showing uh, the growing levels of support for this project okay now two more slides for her thank you Uh, we're already engaging with a broad spectrum of people and groups to gather input and feedback as part of the pid phase we've established three different uh comprehensive advisory committees uh, stakeholder advisory committee equity advisory committee and a technical advisory committee and these groups have already met two to three times each um, and are providing valuable input next slide you can see the invitees for the um, stakeholder advisory committee here and next slide the Equity Advisory Committee on the next slide. These are all the people who have been invited. This is included in your packet. Uh, you can peruse those. And if you see any groups missing, please let us know. Um, so, creating a new bike ped um, crossing in the West, and we'll have a real strong. Um, Benefit for equity priority communities, Uh, these areas which are shown in kind of the pinkish purple on the slide, really bear the brunt of our dependence on auto travel through this area, and that is um, evidenced by air quality um, impacts, pollution, high traffic volumes, traffic collisions, and a lack of walking and biking options. The bridge is expected to eliminate um, around 40,000 vehicle trips per week in this corridor, which can improve the health of um, residents of these areas and also help us to achieve climate goals by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Next slide. We have worked with our um, advisory committees to establish the current draft project purpose. Um, And it focuses on addressing these equity issues that we talked about on reducing barriers, improving multimodal connectivity, uh, on encouraging a shift away from driving and on increasing resiliency and disaster preparedness. This purpose um, will most likely continue to be modified to be responsive to any information that's emerging as the project moves forward through the next phase, which is why it's, it's still in draft form. Next slide. So getting to the concrete, so to speak, uh, we have defined our study area um, as shown. It's as an approximately three-quarter mile area, um, sort of broadly east-west, which is bordered to the west by the Port of Oakland's Reach 6, that box you see on the left side, and by Oakland's Estuary Park to the east. This area, study area, really straddles the Posey-Webster tubes, which are, are right there in the middle. Uh, next slide. Um, so we started off um, in terms of finding corridors by looking at um, need, you know we defined our study area and then we know we need to work around major constraints and the really highest major constraints are the ones shown in red. Uh, uh, this includes that um, reach six of the port, the utility easements through here and also the tubes. So we know we need to either avoid or um, and or not build, Um, in these areas or be very careful if we build over these areas. Next slide. We then um, kind of looked at additional constraints, and we layered on other high, medium, and low constrained areas, and they're color-coded as shown. And I know this is kind of a a messy map. It might take a while to um, kind of see all the, the, kind of understand all the colors, but Um, Ultimately, what this really shows us is that we're working in a highly constrained area and any any place we are going to build this bridge is going to be constrained in one way or another. And therefore, we really call them our top three least constrained corridors that we've developed, and those are uh, the western corridor, the central corridor, and the eastern. And right now, um, we're focused on developing alternatives for each of these corridors. Uh, what you see is not a final alternative. It's just generally showing those areas. Um, and ultimately, the, the PID document will study and look at up to six alternatives in these three corridors. So a total of six different ones, most likely two for each corridor. Next slide. So there's a lot um, in developing that work and those core and on those alignments, a lot of varied de- bridge design variables that we're looking at, um, as listed on the screen. And these are all really quite interconnected. Um, they include how high the bridge is above the water, the type of bridge, uh, whether it opens on demand or on schedule, um, and the ramps and um, these all of these variables impact the walking and biking usability of the bridge, uh, the recreational boat activities, the urban context, and, uh, and the cost and, and even more items. And we know that in developing this bridge, there will have to be trade-offs. There will be no perfect solution. Uh, next slide. An example for the variable of height, we know the higher bridges, the more ramping there will need to be. That's the chart on the top. Um, so for a 70 foot high bridge, that's 1,200 feet of ramping on each side of the bridge. And this view shows um, it shows that for uh, the western corridor. and you can see in the three to four, the three to four story buildings on each side of the estuary in that dark gray and the ramp spirals that are needed to bring users back to the ground level. Uh, this shows really clearly the large impact that a taller bridge would have on the urban context and it's one of the reasons we're starting to look at lower height bridges um, however um, it should be noticed that as the bridge height lowers this will in turn impact the recreational boating in estuary so again no perfect option here um, next slide please so here's where we're at today in this long process we're really um, Still in the beginning, um, in the green area here, the PID, we've got um, several more significant phases that we'd have to get through uh, and uh, to get to construction. That includes finding uh, funding for all of these phases and finding um, folks to other, other agencies to lead the future phases and finding an owner for the bridge, which um, we have ideas for all of these things and they're things we're working on right now um and alameda will not be leading this project alone i want to make that very clear Uh, and also we're working um very very closely with the city of oakland on this because obviously uh, this bridge um, has to land in oakland and so we have to And also we see this as a regional project, so we have to coordinate with Oakland and that is going well. So the soonest we could start construction um, on any bridge, uh, really if everything lined up perfectly, would be by 2030. So we really are planning for the future. Uh, Next slide, please. So for our next steps, we'll continue developing alternatives, working with our advisory committees and doing community outreach. Uh, we expect to complete this, uh, release draft of the PID in the uh, late this year and complete complete the, this phase by early 2024. You can find a lot more info on our project webpage, estuarybridge.org. Uh, that concludes my presentation, and I'm happy to answer any questions.
0: Thank you, Ms. Wheeler, um, given that this is a information session, um, I will I'm going to ask the board to hold off on your questions. That's open for public comments first, and then we can come back to the board questions. Um, staff, do we have any public comments? Public speakers?
2: Um, doesn't look like anybody's raising their hand.
0: Great. Um, now let's close the public comment section and um, open for board comments and discussions. Board member Curtis.
4: I just want to say that this was really a a presentation that had a lot of thought and very nicely done. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Any other board comments? Board Member Cisneros.
1: Yeah, um, agreed. Thank you so much for um, the great work and um, this update. Um, I had uh, two questions. I'm curious. Um, who would the potential agencies be for the next phase, the PAED? I don't know if like maybe it's part of the advisory board or um, or maybe it's too soon to speculate, but I was just curious like what that might look like. Um, and then my other question is you mentioned um, this project being reflected in a lot of important planning documents, which is exciting. and um, I was curious if it was mentioned in plan, Bay Area, I don't know what number it is now, 2040, 2050. Um, Because I think uh, they have, at least in the past, listed priority regional projects. So just curious about that. Thank you.
10: Uh, Yes, thank you for those questions. Um, So yeah, we are, um, are talking about who we would like to see be the leads. We're trying to be really transparent about this. In the hopes that we can further the conversation um, ideally we would like to see a more countywide or regional agency pick up this project for the next phase which as you mentioned is the paed project approval environmental document phase um, we have um, been talking with the alameda county transportation commission so um and uh those discussions are ongoing i'll just say (laughs) no decisions um and um we've also talked to NTC as well so but we think alameda ctc would be a a logical entity to take this on um, since they coordinate a lot of um, projects large complex projects that um, are have regional significance and connect multiple cities and then um we uh, would ideally like to see Caltrans be the environmental lead so that they could concurrently lead the CEQA and the NEPA environmental document phases um, together rather than having two separate agencies lead those two environmental um, documents. And ultimately, our hope would be that Caltrans would um, take ownership of the bridge and. Uh, responsibility for maintaining and operating it. Obviously, that could get um, contracted out as it is done right now for the Bay Farm Bridge, which Caltrans owns, but they pay um, Alameda County Public Works to maintain and operate. Um, And um, yeah, so we're in discussion with all of those agencies, and I'll say I think there will be long and ongoing conversations and and uh, and no quick answers there but that's where we're that's where we're headed um and then yes the plan this project is in plan bay area 2050 that's the number we're at now and um uh it is not called out as a specific project um with specific funding but it is a um kind of included you know under the broad category of BRIDGES AND BICYCLE AND PEDESTRIAN FACILITIES.
0: THANK YOU. Um, VICE PRESIDENT
8: Yeah, THANK YOU. FIRST OF ALL, THANK YOU FOR THE REALLY WONDERFUL PRESENTATION. THIS IS AN EXCITING PROJECT. I KNOW IT'S it's GOING TO TAKE A WHILE TO SEE IT COME TO fruition, BUT uh, IT'S ONE STEP AT A TIME. AND uh, IT WOULD BE GREAT TO SEE THIS PEDESTRIAN CONNECTION BETWEEN ALAMEDA AND OAKLAND. One, talking about ownership, uh, are we talking about a a similar ownership model as say the pedestrian over crossing in the city of Berkeley across uh, I-80, is it a similar type of, does Caltrans actually own that pedestrian bridge or or is is it, is that kind of one kind of jurisdictional model that's being looked at?
10: Um, that's where we'd like to get to. So that bridge is considered part of the Caltrans facility for, you know, part of their Interstate 80 facility. Um, so we would, um, you know, really one of the reasons that we're talking about this project in relation to the posing Webster tubes is because um, those tubes are currently deficient in providing walking and biking opportunities. So we really see this bridge as being integral to kind of, Building out a larger complete street um, facility, mm-hmm. and um, it's true it would not, it might not connect directly to the right of way for that facility. So that's where there's kind of some um, that that's where the challenge arises for Caltrans within their their existing kind of ways of thinking of being able to. Uh, one of the challenges I would say of taking on this project because to connect to the their facility or go, you know, kind of somehow integrate with their their facility.
8: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just one uh, other question is the the it's a proposal for the water taxi still active.
10: Yes, um, that is a very timely question. I am also working on that project, um, the uh, water shuttle project, and we are working with a partnership of private entities and the uh, business associations on trying to start up a water shuttle between Alameda and Oakland in a very similar area um, that I showed for the study area for the bridge. And um, we're um, trying to have a pilot, a really, uh, a summer pilot this summer. And uh, we'll be releasing a survey to get input on what days of the week people would like to ride that, what times. um, We're hopeful that we'll be able to pull together funding to do that. And WIDA would actually administer that project. and, and contract out for the service. So WIDA is one of our partners in that. And then we're looking to, we actually have applied almost a year ago for grant funding to do a two-year pilot. And, we're, and that wouldn't start until early next year, but we're waiting to hear still on that grant funding. But the grant funding only would cover 25% of the project and the remaining 75% would be through private funds. Um, so that, that is very much still in play.
8: Okay, thank you.
0: So, um, again, th- thank you, Ms. Willer, for such a comprehensive and informative um, presentation, and I'm personally very excited about this project, I wish we can, you know, start right away. Um, just a few questions for you, I first of all, I agree with you, thank you for highlighting the deficien- deficiencies in Webster and Posey tubes um, from a pedestrian standpoint, and also coming into Alameda through those tubes. Um, it's not only dark, but it's also getting really, really dirty. Um, you can see the debris in the tube, and I don't know um, who is who's in charge of cleaning that up, but it just seems that um, the debris situation is getting worse, um, especially after the rains we have had. So um, having an extra connection definitely helped, especially when you highlighted that five mile of waterfront without um, any direct connection. Um, question Mm -hmm. for you. I did not see BCDC on the list. Maybe I've missed it. Is this project be under BCDC's jurisdiction or not?
10: Yes, and that is um, a good catch. Um, BCDC um, is, we have them in the category of regulatory agencies, and we're reaching out to them individually. to go into, into depth with what, you know, to present the project and hear their needs and, and, and learn what kinds of permitting and requirements would be needed. Um, I will say that we, who works um, with environmental justice communities from BCDC, who is a part of our equity advisory committee, but we do plan to meet with them, and, and definitely this project would be under their purview.
5: Right.
0: Thank you. And um, I. See- See that with these, um, at the end of a PID phase, we're selecting six sites, right? We're going to propose six recommendations. Is that correct? And then, and final, with with the final. Yeah, we're
10: looking at the feasibility, I would phrase it as we're looking at the feasibility of six um, specific alternatives. um, But we're not SELECTING THE PREFERRED ONE OR or SPECIFIC ONE. IN FACT, WE ARE NOT ALLOWED TO DO THAT IN THE PIN PHASE.
0: OKAY. AND THEN AT THE END, WE'RE ONLY BUILDING ONE? YES. OKAY. SO HOPING WE CAN BUILD MORE THAN ONE. BUT WE'LL we'll, we'll TAKE ONE FOR NOW.
10: (laughs) WOW, THAT'S AMBITIOUS. YEAH, NO, WE WOULD ONLY BE BUILDING ONE BRIDGE.
0: (laughs) WELL, BUT THERE'S FIVE MILES. YOU POINT OUT THERE ARE FIVE MILES THAT NEEDED. FIVE MILES THAT NEED TO BE ADDRESSED, RIGHT? SO WHY NOT BUNDLE yeah, IT true. TOGETHER? I, WHY NOT BUNDLE
10: IT Yes. <laughs> so,
0: WELL, ANYWAY, um, ON not THAT NOTE, um, I WANT TO THANK YOU FOR YOUR PRESENTATION. AND um, WE LOOK FORWARD TO HEARING FUTURE UPDATES FROM YOU AND YOUR DEPARTMENT. THANK YOU. OKAY. SO THAT CONCLUDES THE um, PUBLIC AGENDA. AND LET'S MOVE ON TO STAFF COMMUNICATIONS. Mr. Tai?
3: Yes, uh, thank you, President Ruiz. So, 6A is just uh, recent uh, design review actions by staff. Uh, no action for you unless you have any questions or want to call any for review. Um, 6B is just uh, a highlight of what's coming up on your future agendas. Um, we are working on the packet for your April 24th meeting. Um, We currently anticipate you have three items, um, including a use permit on Park Street, as well as um, the design review for the golf course fire tower, which uh, the board had heard maybe a year ago, and so that's coming back. Um, And we may also have a um, parcel map for you, simple parcel map out at um, site A. Um, We also have agendas teed up, agenda items teed up for this board. Throughout the both meetings in May. So, just wanna give you a heads up. And we haven't formalized uh, what those items are yet, but there are items. Um, and the sport will be, we had a light spring, so uh, we're, you, there'll be some work for the sport um, as we approach this summer. <laughs> and um, I also just, uh, pardon me for not um, uh, off, offering the summary when we were talking about objective standards, but. Um, Staff will need some time to, to digest the comments received. Um, thank you the, for, the, uh, for the comments from the board. We'll, um, next steps will be we'll, we'll take all the comments and try to work on um, track changes, red line edits of the objective standards. We'll also try to look for um, uh, a solution for illustrations. And then, depending on how, how long that's going to take, we might pre- just bring back the t- text edits to you, um, uh, maybe sometime this summer, uh, early summer, and then continue to work on illustrations. Um, but that's sort of the staff game plan as of tonight, based on the feedback we've gotten today. Okay. Thank so you. that's it for staff communications.
0: Thank you. Um, Regarding the objective design review standards, when you bring it back, um, you have noted that the track changes are really helpful and make sure it's an attachment in part of the staff report, not, you know, so that staff, so that board members don't have to go online and look for it. Sure.
3: We'll include it as an exhibit. Thank you.
0: Um, Moving on to item number seven, board communications. Do we have any board communications? Or um,
1: yeah, I guess it's more of a comment, <laughs> um, uh, and then the, it's in response to, I think, the last meeting um, we were discussing the housing element, um, various goals, and when we would um, think about the timeline um, for um, some of these activities or um, efforts. Um, I I did want to bring up the one about uh, a bond, like a a city, like putting our own affordable housing bond, Um, and next year, um, my understanding is that there's going to be a lot going on (laughs) in the election time, um, including a regional housing bond, Um, and I'm I'm sure that the city council is thinking about this, but I just um, want to... to think about how that could be um, competing and confusing to voters. So, um, you know, for us to think about how we could best, like, leverage um, this regional opportunity. Um, uh, Housing is a regional problem. So, um, yeah, I just want to uh, flag that. And then another um, interesting uh, paired um, measure for next year is potentially lowering um, the voter threshold, so it's that much more easier. So um, it's just gonna be an exciting time and yeah, for us to like think about how we could best leverage that for housing would be great. mm.
3: Yeah, thanks for that reminder. And um, the the bond measure is part of the whole affordable housing discussion and inclusion or inclusionary ordinance. Um, So uh, yes, that's on our work plan, (laughs) we'll get there.
0: Seeing that there's no further um, board communications, um, now move on to non-agenda public comments. Do we have any speakers?
2: Um, No, we don't have any speakers.
0: Seeing none, this concludes the meeting. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you.